Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast over there is Mr. Two Frame. Howdy. And I'm the L Train, and we're your hosts on this fine fall afternoon speeding towards 100 shows looking forward to today's show mr two frames i gotta tell you you are yep you enjoyed this movie that much nope (laughs) i did not but you compelled me to watch this movie you made me feel bad for not wanting to watch it you should this is a major uh release studio release of the year this movie uh made 75 million domestically and then 80 million overseas this weekend mm-hmm. or since it's opening i suppose it's been out two weeks overseas so it's made less than half of its production budget no you're, you're it, it's almost made back its production budget its production budget was about 240 to 250 oh i thought it was 300 and then well advertising marketing after that yeah the, the movie's going to have to clear north of $500 million internationally to break a profit. I saw $650 million. Okay. And then they'll consider it to be a failure if it doesn't reach a billion. Yeah, I could see that. We are talking about the spy movie, and I suppose it's the fourth in the um, sort of continuity of the latest iteration of James Bond, Spectre. This organization, do you know what it's called? Its name is Spectre. Look around you, James. Everything you believed in, a ruin. Why did you come? to kill you. And I thought you came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. movie's about James Bond and he's assassinating some people and he's having sex with some women (laughs) and he's escaping from some things and he's flying some things and he's driving some things. There's your plot. (laughs) Is that fair? You forgot he has gadgets. No, not a little, little light on the gadgets this, this time. He has a tricked out car. He has a wristwatch that explodes. (laughs) Sorry. I don't mean to spoil things, but actually, I really don't care. It has a flamethrower that comes out the back. All right. That's pretty good. Wish my car did that sometimes in traffic. (laughs) Would you use that? Would you use the flamethrower? Ooh, with great power comes great responsibility. I'd rather have the tax. Release the tax, because then no one really knows (laughs) that you blew out their tires. The flamethrower gives a pretty clear signal to people. Yeah, you're you're flamethrowing. I'm flamethrowing here. Look at me. The only problem with tats are I drive on the same roads a lot. 
<laughs> right. So I'd have to go back on that road, and there might be the straight tack that you know, pops <laughs> my tire. You'd have to find an alternate route. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. You don't want to get burned up in your own. You don't. You're not afraid of getting burned up in your own flame throwing. No, it throws the flame. It doesn't. Like a, it's not a flame holder. <laughs> it's, it's not a flame boomerang. <laughs> Uh, this is directed by Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. This is his second uh, film in the Bond series. He previously did Skyfall, which did. some people consider one of the best Bond films ever. Hey, that's the one I didn't see. Wait a minute, that's one of the many that I didn't see. Out of this is the twenty fourth official Bond film. How many Bond films do you think you've seen? Oh, really? Going back to the ones that I've forgotten about? Sure. I think I probably saw in the theater. Probably I started with Roger Moore on one. I probably saw one or two of his movies. And I probably saw a Timothy Dalton movie. Maybe this might be the first. No, it's the second Roger Craig movie I've seen in theaters. Daniel Craig. Roger Craig's the running back <laughs> for the 49 for the 49ers. <laughs> yeah. High knees. Uh, Chest low. Probably five mm. in theaters. And then most of the other ones on TV. Yeah, here and there on TNT or whatever. Fair enough. First Daniel Craig one? Or, yeah. No, no, no. I saw the the one where he goes off into the desert. I suppose Quantum of Solace. Okay. And I saw Casino. I've seen Casino Royale on HBO or whatever. I have not seen Skyfall yet, though. I understand it had some very. I mean, it didn't it win some awards for cinematography, or at least it was mm-hmm. nominated. It was nominated. It it's got a nice style to it. Do uh, you? It's very similar to Spectre style-wise. That's what I was going to ask. Do you see, is it the same cinematographer? Do you see it being nominated for a Best Cinematography Award in the Academy Awards? The first five minutes had me thinking this gets nominated and I was going to be blown out of the water by the cinematography. And then, uh, except for a handful of shots, I wasn't that big on the cinematography. There's a virtuoso tracking shot at the beginning of the movie, which mm-hmm. is a callback to several other movies, I think. Probably most known, well-known tracking shot at the beginning of a movie is uh, The Touch of Evil with Orson Welles. There might be some homage to that. I saw an homage to what I thought was uh, Godfather Part Two, And then I've heard other movie critic podcasts say that they jam pack a whole lot of references to the Roger Moore, uh, Sean Connery, uh, previous James Bond movies. I guess even some Timothy Dalton stuff. There's there's a scene later on in the movie. One of the action set pieces has him in Austria, which I I think that there was a ski scene in one of the old James Bond movies. I don't know. You're the Bond aficionado. How does this rank in terms of all James Bond movies? I'd probably like this second best of that of the daniel craig films i really didn't care for skyfall or qualm of solace i thought casino royale was great and i saw homages to that film specifically the opening scene in mexico city okay. uh with the parkour that goes on with bond and then with this fight that's happening at great height you know that, that's very similar to the uh the scene at the construction site okay so I thought it was pretty good at the beginning. I wish that they had scaled back Wait, on the amount what, of CGI. What's what scene of the what construction? Are you talking about in, in Casino Royale? He's chasing a construction a, site. Yeah, he, uh, Bond chases a bad guy through a construction site. And in and this movie, climbing all over stuff. In this, he chases a bad guy onto a helicopter okay. that then 
proceeds to do figure eights uh, around a crowd of people. Right. While it also does loop de loops and uh, right. yeah, there there's some bad physics I feel going Almost on. Almost impossible to to do a complete loop in a uh, helicopter, from what I understand. Yeah, and the way he pulls out of it, but. That opening tracking shot where he goes with the girl into the hotel and then mm-hmm. he's outside of the hotel, he's walking along the edge of the building, the camera's above him, and I'm thinking, how the heck did they get the camera up there and what type of amazing crane system they had to have in place? All that was great. What if the entire opening sequence, the cold open before the titles, had been one tracking shot? Because the, the cold open before the titles probably goes for 15 minutes, maybe, maybe less. I'd say less than that. I think it's over 10 though. Yeah. If you want to say 10, that's fine. And it, I mean, it's an action set piece. There's explosions. There's a building that falls. There's people chasing people and guns and, I guess everything that one would want if one wanted some James Bond movie. Yeah, but I think you, if it was just one tracking shot, you would lose um, some of those establishing shots of where the helicopter is above the crowd of people because you'd have to be inside the helicopter with Bond. Maybe no, no. You can you can do a flyaway with the camera. The camera doesn't have to be tracking Bond. Okay, but uh, the camera I, could I, move. I mean, I I could visualize the camera moving back and forth between his target and Bond. Yeah, I would hate that. I hate when you have God camera. All right. When when it becomes very clear that you're in a completely CGI world because the only way the camera could be out in space is if God was holding it himself. Right. They did that in the first Captain America film where you're outside this train that's going along the Alps and there's no spot for the camera to be. It's 15 feet away and then the camera zooms into the actual train that bothers me i think it calls attention to itself i think this film was trying to make you believe what you were seeing on the screen was real at all times i don't think it was trying to really? be a cgi fest even really? though i think they just pushed the bar the bar too far i think the cgi itself was really well done the uh, the destruction was very realistic yeah i wasn't taken out of the movie by the cgi like i am with other action movies i think the creative decisions on how to employ cgi were very bad there's a character later on who suffers an injury and that was all done cgi there was no makeup on set okay and i think you know that is seamless right i i have no fault with the cgi you noticed in uh, mission impossible 5 that was a, one of my big hangups mm-hmm. there were things that happened in mission impossible 5 that uh took me out of the movie i've seen a low budget movie an independent film that had some cgi in it that that i mean meaningless cgi but i could tell it was cgi and i was taken out of the movie i didn't i didn't like it, it there's something about the artificiality of it this movie didn't didn't have as much of that mm-hmm. the artificiality in the movie was from the story and from the, I mean, what I assume I'm supposed to be able to just roll with, just go with the flow. Well, I saw it with my dad and he was like, well, it's a James Bond movie. You're supposed to, you know, <laughs> supposed to watch it like a James Bond movie. And I'm all for that. I'm all for judging a movie based on its merits within its specified genre. But I said to him, you have to suspend your disbelief as much for the dark Knight." or Batman Begins, or even The Dark Knight Returns, which is a movie trilogy, a movie franchise, like James Bond. All the Batman movies, I mean, they're operating on their own 
scenario, the difference is they create a world where that can exist. It's sort of parallel with our world, but I mean, a world of superheroes and supervillains that can exist. I can accept it. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I have a good afternoon watching the movie. This movie wants to have you suspend all your disbelief in the same way, but they're trying to put you in the real world. They're trying to say this is hyper-realistic, especially like I think you mentioned earlier with the Daniel Craig movies. They're trying to pull it off as hyper-realism, but it's James Bond and he's supposed to be able to do all of these tremendous things like fly helicopters and fall out of helicopter or whatever. You, you know? see, I don't even mind that. You know, but it doesn't. That this guy's uh, my a point super is, spy. But my point is that it doesn't work in that arena. It doesn't. They're trying to do it in our world. The story itself doesn't work. You can have a, a movie where spies exist. Yeah, and you could have a criminal organization that your spy has to go up against. It's that the movie also wants to be camp at times. Bond falls off a ledge onto a couch that's just there for no reason. <laughs> and then I roll my eyes. If this was Roger Moore in a film, I would just go with it because his Bond movies were really campy. Well, but when you've just had this super long tracking shot, tracking shot, yeah, and it's nice and realistic, it feels like a, a Bourne movie. You know, the Bourne movies had that great uh, scene where he's running along the rooftops and mm -hmm. then jumps from one through the window right. and that the camera follows him. Yeah. That's great. That's gritty. It's realistic. Mm -hmm. I like all that. You can't go and switch to camp then on me and then go right back to being gritty realistic. I, those changes in tone in the movie, not knowing what it wants to be and trying to be an homage to classic Bond, trying to be something new, trying to update the Bond character for the 21st century and an audience that's not as bloodthirsty, doesn't want to see Bond kill. Because there are a couple times where Bond uh, kneecaps people. Instead of shooting them in the chest. Uh -huh. Well, it's PG-13. It's <laughs> trying to appeal to the widest audience. But it's still supposed to be bloodless violence. Well, I think that was a... Now, I read this somewhere, or heard it, but the broccoli production people that are in charge of... I guess they're the broccoli brothers, the broccoli family. They want it to be a cartoony type of violence. They don't want that hyper-realism that comes with violence, and they, they'll never have an R-rated... That, that, that's movie. fine. It doesn't have to be R-rated, but the Bond character just doesn't seem to work as well for me because of that. Well, he's, he's an assassin, and you're saying he's shooting people in the knee. Yeah, but then later it's on, like good. if they're really far away and he's got a rifle, now he can shoot him in the chest because you just see him fall down. Uh-huh. 18 violence. And, and there's some stuff we'll get into. Spoilers. You know, my problems with the ending and the way that was written, but I just, this is trying to please too many people, and I think it ends up pleasing no one. You know, it's, if you're going to make a campy Bond movie, go ahead and do that. If you're going to make a realistic one, do that. I thought Casino Royale was great. I, uh, again, I saw it on whatever HBO here and there, and I was interested mostly in the card play. I don't well, like angsty Bond, and that's what we got a lot in Skyfall, and we're getting in this film where he's you know really just a shell of who he used to be, and he's full of regret and he's always worried that, you know, he's made the wrong move. And well, when the movie starts to psychoanalyze the character or try to force you to do that, there's really, and it doesn't do it in an interesting way mm -hmm. or it doesn't do it with visually. And it's just sort of him brooding or, uh, there's one scene later on where he's looking at pictures of the people that have passed by in his life or passed on or whatever. 
you begin to think, I mean, there were several eye roll moments Mm -hmm. that happened. And at one point, I just, the guy sitting next to me looked over at me because he could tell how disgusted I was because I guess I had made a guttural noise at something that happened on screen. And I didn't look over at him to see if he was having the same reaction, but I'm pretty sure that he was. This movie was tedious. Yeah. Uh, The one thing that I really did like, though, I liked Dave Bautista in this film. Jinx? Yeah, he was the henchman. He only says one word in the whole film. He had a nice dominating presence. He seemed pretty... Hinks. Sorry, Hinks. Well, Jinx is another character that... I think from another. Yeah. But he, he's very much of like the odd job jaws type yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. You know, the bond has to go and physically, you know, fight. He's the main adversary, physical adversary. Yeah. Because the, the other villain played by Christoph Waltz is really not in the film a whole lot. No. His, uh, power hangs over the whole film and creates problems for bond. But I guess in the abstract it does, but not in the, not in the actual film that we watched. Yeah, you could say later on that, but you're right. The Dave Batista character doesn't have enough to do, and he has his his demise. I think might have been the time when I rolled my eyes. But I did like. There's the possibility he comes back for another film. He also has the world's best job interview. <laughs> that was great. I know that was one of those parts that I love. Where your credentials for? But what was he? What was he interviewing for? I guess a position at that table. Uh, uh, Okay. Lead assassin. No, I don't think so because the guy that he interviewed with was a fellow applicant for the position. I think that they were trying to apply for, for the person that, that bond was chasing in the beginning in the Mm -hmm. cold open, his position. I don't care. I like the way the guy interviews. I think that, yeah, I do like his interview skills. I do think that there that you should care. I think that you really need to hold the the a little bit of scrutiny up to to that part of it. And I think people are too willing to say, "Nee, whatever. Yeah. Just let it go." I, why? Why should I be compelled to just let something happen or exist in this world when I know that if you put some different a different spin on it or a different different way of writing it that you could have done better. So you did not like the Batista scene where he interviews? No, that's fine, but I didn't know what he was interviewing for, and I didn't know what the eventual outcome would be. I didn't know. I didn't understand how he kept finding James Bond. James Bond when he didn't. I mean, they didn't set that. He didn't. Did he ever talk to anybody to give him his orders? Like, do we know who he's? Do we? I guess he's working for Christoph Waltz. You guess. We have to make these assumptions. I mean, obviously he's working in league with him, but how many other? He's a very dapper-looking gentleman in a suit, so... That's fine. I'm talking about about the secret organization. How many people were in the secret organization? A lot. How many thousands of people? That's a problem I have. Yeah. Um, The car chase, I thought, was okay. I don't think it was the best. I don't think it was the worst. Which car chase? The one where he was being chased by a plane? No, the car chase with cars. Oh, okay. Not the plane chase. All right. Not the plane chasing the two SUVs. Well, I I did notice that every... That that would be the SUV plane chase. Every single mode of transportation was uh, was on screen at one point or another. The double-decker bus was there at one point. (laughs) The only thing that they didn't really have was the submarine. And I kept thinking that Bond's... Uh, a car was going to turn into a submarine at some point. (laughs) 
No. So I didn't think that the car chase was that great. It, it was fine. It, the problem was there were no real stakes. I think it's better when Bond is chasing rather than being chased. Yeah, and, and again, what was he... And then, you know, he kind of just gets away in a very anticlimactic fashion. You, you, you wouldn't feel like the other guys would have given up chasing after him so easily. Well, wasn't there just one other guy? And again, if you're the secret organization, shouldn't you be sending a whole lot more yeah, men if you than have one? a thousand people at your secret meeting yeah. that everybody knows about. And everyone drove to. So require a few cars in that <laughs> parking lot. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, what would you think about the plane chase? The plane chasing the SUVs yeah. through the... All right. Do we need to move into spoilers? Yes. Well, I, I thought talking about right, some so of the... All right, so visually, I, I probably, I, I think that I had just woken up, so I was a little groggy. I fell asleep when he was in, when he was talking to Leah Sadu. Is mm-hmm. that her name? Yeah. Uh, in the movie, she plays his adversary's daughter. And she's the lead Bond girl in this film, too. Madeline Swan uh, is her name in the movie. And he had just gone to Austria to find her and talk to her about something. I, I, I don't know. I, I was so, I was so bored with it. I kept I, I looking around, waiting for people to like look at their cell phones so that I have something to distract me from the screen. Well, like, but that's where it seemed to be wanting to be classic Bond. He I goes, guess. meets the pretty girl, is kind of undercover. All right. You know, you have that. I felt the whole plane chase, that was very classic. That felt like something. So you liked it. You enjoyed the plane chase. If this movie wanted to be classic Bond, yeah, I'd have no problems throwing Sean Connery in there, Roger Moore. Hmm. I, I feel like that's something we could have seen in one of their films, that whole sequence of events. This was an hour and a half into the film? Probably. That sounds about right. That's about where it should have ended. And we still had a whole nother movie to go after that. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I think the movie could have been cut down. It was two and a half hours. I think it would have been better as 150 minutes and take out one of the action sequences. But So there's key. There's four key action sequences. At least four. Yeah. I would say the cold open is one. There's the car chase. Okay. The plane sequence. And then when he's escaping the uh, Oberhauser's lair at the, towards the end. Okay. With the train fight. Okay, is that an action sequence? Now that's I'm talking about big, huge special effects sequences. Oh, okay. Where there's more than just two characters involved. I think, you know, where it's going through cities or like wide. Sp- All right. So, okay. do you think did one of them work more than any of the others, or did any of them work well, or was it? Did- I, I think they were all over the place in tone. Like in the first one, it was trying to be gritty, realistic. The plane sequence, like I said, that felt like classic Bond. The escape from the fortress, they they rushed through that. It almost seemed too easy to get out. Like, here, let's go through one door, and then, oh, the helicopter's there right. take us to safety. There's a shot at the end of that that I really liked, okay. and I thought they pulled off well. But uh, I, 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 it really felt like there were multiple directing units on this film, and that no one was talking to each other. Right, you could because have, the style felt very different from one to another. You could have had four different unit directors for each of the action sequences. Honestly, that that was what was going through my head. But there was discontinuity even within the sequence. For example, in the open, we talked about him falling into a chair, mm-hmm. you know, from a from a great height, where he had previously, you know, done a whatever seven or eight minute walk through. Didn't this that feel parade. like a pickup shot to you? 
that that was yeah. one of those things that they yeah. went back and filmed. Oh, again. yeah. Yeah. It looked like something out of a commercial. Oh, look here. Let's throw in something funny because we haven't right. had a laugh yet. No, actually, you know, right as that was happening, I was thinking, huh, this is. I was giving the movie a whole lot of credit. I hated the fact that they moved away from the tracking shot, but then I understood how it set up um, Bond as an assassin because you get his point of view through the um, through the the scope, mm-hmm. and I always like that shot, even though it's a trope. I still like that shot a lot. And then there's back and forth with uh, with him and the 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 Sicario or Sicario or whoever is his target is. Then the thing happens that eventually he starts to fall or he he's hanging on, you know, he's grasping on to the edge of something and he's, he's going to fall off of this building. And for whatever reason, he just decides to let go. And I was thinking that's probably the way it would happen. That is more realistic than the guy that's able to pull himself up and scale this, this unscalable height, mm-hmm. which I think that would have happened in some other movies. And then he hits that stupid chair and I'm like, they set that. They did all this to set that up. Mm-hmm. That it's not even high jinks. It's low jinks. <laughs> that low jinks gag. And uh, I mean, I just gotten done doing Buster Keaton stuff and Harold Lloyd things. They had a heck of a lot more set up for their gags, and that was just. It's called uh, in my AP class. I teach it. It's called bathos, where you bring something to a really exalted height. And then you just allow it to fall off. And it sort of creates disquietude and irony in writing. That's exactly what it does in this movie. And uh, it was so annoying. I rolled my eyes and I thought, wow, we're only 10 minutes in. And I wanted to give this movie some credit. Apparently this film had a long production cycle and there was a lot of problems during it. I don't think they could ever really agree on the same script. You've talked about the financiers getting involved and, you know, having their say, Sam Mendes, he had a lot of say, he almost didn't come back to do this film. So the studio was looking for someone else. And I think there was this idea that if we keep making it bigger and bigger and spend more money, it'll make more money. You know, let's crank this up to 11. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, that's what I feel. I almost feel it would be better if you said, no, you got a hundred million less to make your film. Make the cuts as you need them. There's four different uh, writers for the screenplay, which that's never a good thing. Generally, yeah, the more uh, screenplay writers you see, uh, the worse it is. Plus, then you also have a lot of people who aren't showing up. You know, there were probably people brought in for rewrites. Well, one of them, John Logan, wrote The Last Samurai, Hugo, Rango, and The Aviator. The other one, Jez Butterworth, wrote Black Mass, which we just saw, and Edge of Tomorrow. And then there's these other two guys, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who wrote Die Another Day and Quantum of Solace. And, and I think they had something to do with Skyfall and Johnny English. They wrote that together. And the, there couldn't be three more disparate writers, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, with their different writing credits. The guy that wrote The Aviator is not the same guy that wrote Quantum of Solace. You know, they don't they're not writing in the same realm. So that might account for some of the tonal dissonance that yeah. you see. Or yeah, that no, you, I, that you noticed. I, I, yeah, I would say that. Um, what do you think about Bond working with a team? That's to me is where it started to feel like it was a ripoff of a Mission Impossible movie when we get M and Tanner and Q. It's, not only is it a ripoff, Money Penny. It's, it's a it's a sad, pitiful uh, reflection of it. It doesn't it doesn't hold up to anything like what you get in Mission Impossible Three. 
or Mission Impossible Four, any of the Mission Impossible movies. In fact, it it's just it's a it's it's a it's of less very lesser quality, and they don't really have as much to do. I suppose Q is the most. Uh, he does some, but he just he doesn't have a lot of personality. I I, I don't know. I, I thought Money it. Penny worked the best, but even then, I think less is more. I know back in the '90s when Pierce Brosnan was playing James Bond, they said Money Penny through like uh, 18 films had less than 90 lines of dialogue. Oh, you know, so it's always just short little bits, and that's uh-huh. what makes it so nice. Same thing with Q; he shows up at the beginning, and then you don't see him again. I, I like that idea. Well, it was a whole subplot that never really tied in with the main plot. There were several of them that were like that. It was like, um, okay, the guy that leads Spectre is this shadow organization that's supposed to be... I'm not really even sure what their motivation was, but he's in league with someone in the government. We don't know what that connection is. They only just kind of talk about it. They, we never see the two of them together. There's no continuity, I suppose, is the is the word to use between any of the subplots. They're like frayed. It's like a frayed rope. Mm-hmm. The different strings are going in all different directions. To me, it just seemed like uh, if you wanted to have a subplot like that, it should have been more interwoven with the main plot. But in this case, it was more like, I think at one point M says, well, he's on his own. Yeah. He's all by himself. He's got to do his own thing. Which and we'll go do has, this other yeah. thing. Um, so I, I didn't like it. I didn't like that part, to answer your question. All right. Uh, this is the 24th film. You have to do a 25th. There's just so much iconic marketing you could do around the idea of a 25th Bond film. Do you bring Daniel Craig back, or do you go get another actor and reboot the franchise for your 25th film? Because there will be another Bond film. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wish that it would just end it all. They would just put me out of my misery. So you're you're over the Bond films. You, you seem. I was to... over the Bond films before they even got started. <laughs> so from before, like when I was a kid, I always felt in a strange way that this is this is the one chink in my man armor. That you're not a huge Bond fan. And I don't think that people really. I don't know. I don't know if people really are. I think that people like the idea of it more than they actually like it. I I, I don't. Know. I always like Bond films. I think it hurts now that the Mission Impossible films have gotten pretty big, and that they're so much better. Uh, the Born Identity movies are so much better. Mission Impossible movies are better than this movie. I think so. I think that the Born Identity movies, except for the last, the Born Supremacy was horrible. The ones with Matt Damon, they're a lot more interesting. A lot more detailed. It seems a lot more nuanced. There's a whole lot of um, character work that's sort of built in. This, I guess, you have built-in expectations for characters, and then the only thing that you can do to run counter to that is to have him be all angsty and you know, psychological, and that just doesn't work. I don't think it plays towards Daniel Craig's strengths. I, I think Casino Royale... It let him be Bond, let him be confident. You had a lot of scenes with him going up against the villain and verbally sparring. I think that's when Daniel Craig was at his best playing Bond. Do you I have think any later idea? on when Christoph Waltz comes in and they get to have some repartee. Very the, limited, the, though. Yeah, but some of those scenes work well, and they're more classic Bond here. 
you know, the villain's going to invite you into his home and tell you his master plan and then kill you after he leaves the room. <laughs> yeah, I like that classic setup. Huh. And I think Christoph Waltz can do that. Daniel Craig can do that. When we're trying to do something else, it just it doesn't work. So, so who do you set, who do you have as if it's not Daniel Craig? Do you have any actor in mind? Ooh. Do you have any? I mean, you could have an American actor, I suppose, play a British dude, or does it have to be a British actor? No, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. The guy from the Nick, um, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. I'd like to see Clive Owen play Bond. He's got the chin. He's a little older. A little yeah. older, but I think that's fine. I think he could work as a Bond. You? Does Bond work better as a as a Cold Warrior? Does this? Does he just? Is is it beyond? him and is it beyond his character to be operating in this kind of world uh, yeah that one of the big themes of this movie is um the computer intelligence gathering capabilities of the spy world right and how they're tapped into all corners of the uh, world it does make sending a single man out with a license to kill a little hard to take it just doesn't work as well mm-hmm Maybe, but I'm afraid if you start putting Bond in a time machine, then it it's too easy to develop into a parody of itself. Not into a time machine. You just have a set, an action, uh, I'm sorry, a period piece. Yeah, I don't know if that plays well. I, I don't know. Did you Maybe see Man from do. Uncle? I haven't watched Man from Uncle yet. All right. That's that movie. I mean, that's the movie I'm thinking about in my head. All right. And I think it's a better spy film. It's probably the best spy film I've seen this year, next to The Suspect, but of movies that came out in 2015 maybe Kingsman is at the top and then this I'm sorry and then uh, uh, what did I just say Man from Uncle and then I hated Spy but it's actually better than this I liked Spy but it gets to be funny and it gets to make fun of itself well that's all it is yeah the problem is that doesn't have a lot of legs you're not really going to have Spy 2 hopefully oh yeah you probably will it made a lot of money I'm just not sure where they go from here so, I don't know. Uh, any spoilers we need to get into? I mean, else? I don't know. The movie spoiled itself enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. There's nothing... It, it, oh, I'll I tell you one thing. It's not necessary. I guess it could be a spoiler. I'll put the spoiler tag right here. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll The love story. Mm-hmm. The Bond girl love story. That was so utterly painful and ridiculous that not, it, it was worse than any CGI in any other movie. The idea that this girl, who didn't like him at all, could fall in love with him on the train to the point where she can transcend his what hypothalamus being punctured and he'll always remember her. She'll always come. I'll, I'll always remember you. She's, she has this the the same impact on his psychology as uh, was it Vesper Lynn or whatever. Mm-hmm. To turn around in less than eighteen hours and just walk out of his life for good. Say, I just can't do this anymore. Sorry, I'm out of here. Yeah. That whole arc of the love between these two characters was so ridiculous at every point none of it made sense and none of it connected together that the girl uh, i 
I don't know if she's a bad actress or if it's a failing of the script. It might be a little bit of both. Whew. She's not. She's not she, bad. She was all over the place in tone, and then like sometimes she'd be smirking at Bond, like how I'm better than you. At one point, it was she a was distasteful she, look at times. But at one point, she was drunk. Uh, yeah, she was playing drunk, but maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was. It was painful. I, I feel bad for the actress. She seems like a, a lovely lady. Hopefully, my, she's my a, hair hurt. I, I don't know. Uh, Monica Bellalucci, her character was yeah. horrible and all over the hurt. place as well, which is a shame because Daniel Craig and Eva Green were one of the best Bond and Bond girl matches ever. Well, Eva Green was in Casino Royale. And okay. Loved her in that. Wait a minute. Uh, so the girl, Leah Sadu, is that mm-hmm. her name? She was in uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. It was the only other movie I'd, I'd seen her in. Um. Everyone, you know, all right. You knew that she was going to be coming back as a bait, right? She looks over oh, her yeah, shoulder. So she leaves. So they set her up in that, in that. Is that the old ministry of. Yeah, that was the building that got bombed in the last film. <sighs> okay. So it was scheduled for demolition, I guess. And they ran all. I, I don't know whether Christoph Waltz's character ran all this demolition wire to blow up the building or. Uh, if it was supposed to come down the next day anyway, and seemed like a needlessly elaborate plan for him to put up the bulletproof glass and lead James Bond down this alleyway, but then he climbs to the very top of the building to find Madeline or Madeline or whatever mm-hmm. in a closet somewhere, so that he can jump out and escape. <laughs> it's it's insane. It's it's like looking for a a needle in a stack of needles. Uh, yeah, but I guess you've got to try and set up some sort of elaborate trap so that the bad guy thinks Bond's dead. But, but Bond can't you set escape. up an elaborate trap that's that's at least I say go with sharks with friggin' lasers on their head. <laughs> Throw me a bone here. But could I have at least have sharks with freaking? Instead, you get a sea bass yeah. with a laser pointer. <laughs> I I don't. That's my point. I mean, they spent three hundred million. They have four different writers here. It goes through a million different focus groups. Sam Mendes has got to be involved. Even I'm sure that uh, Daniel Craig. I don't know if they're dumb or smart. Or Christoph Waltz is. He can speak seventeen languages. That guy. He's always seems like the smartest guy around. I don't know. Didn't someone like look at the script and go? Yeah. I know, even just just having Bond bring down a helicopter with a pistol at the end. I'm like, couldn't he have just picked up a rifle that was on this boat? Why didn't he throw a rock at it? <laughs> and you know, stays himself for one last shot. It's so ridiculous. Uh, and so if you're painful. the helicopter pilot and you're under fire, don't you just go higher up in the air? Why? Why? Why is that helicopter even there so at all? I just why is he there to watch it all? I, I, those were things that bothered me. I wish they'd shown more of Batista's guns while we we're talking about guns. He had a double-barreled gun that was making big holes in Bond's plane. There were a couple. I of... wish Bond had grab that gun and use that to take down the helicopter that would have been more believable there were a couple of neat guns where they did again you didn't function they didn't focus on it they didn't focus on the gadgetry that you i mean if it was going to be a campy james bond movie with q in the beginning i i I don't mind looking at the exploding pen or you know finding out uh that this I don't know, you can communicate with someone in your shoe, <laughs> like get smart. That stuff, I, I kind of like that. But for him to use the watch, and he whispers into her ear when she, she it, the whole staging and setup of that scene where he's being tortured, which I thought you just said was 
good to to watch. No, but the the talk before that in the meteorite room and when they're walking around. Okay. That stuff I liked. No, the the torture the sequence. Interact, so if went it were a, if it were a uh, audio book, it might have been a better movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they do have some it, like they they do have some some well, dialogue that that. But it, but it's also this bond is supposed to be able to laugh at everything. That was something I thought they had in Casino Royale, which is where he gets interrogated in that film, and they're swinging a knotted rope into his undercarriage. Right. And he's, you know, laughing. He's in tremendous pain. Oh, and like then T. He, Lawrence? Yeah, and, but then he makes a joke out of it. And I, I, I kind of like that stiff upper lip, and huh. there's just a lot of character here. I, I didn't see Wait, any of Cassino that. Royale, not in the Casino Royale. I didn't see that in this film, and I'm like, come on, guys, that was one of the best parts. Huh. I liked what you were doing with Bond in the previous films. Let's see some more of that stuff. I don't know, Mr. Instead, yeah, so... It I'm surprised that you hated it as, or seemed to dislike it as much as I did. It had some beautiful shots when that whole base First, blows up and Bond and the girl are there. I, I like all that. That was great. But I don't. They need to. They need to find one writer for the next. What film. was that? What was that thing that they blew up? What, what, Gas I mean, line, I guess. No. What was the? What was the? The 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 base that was. I guess the central hub for all the technology gathering. Of what? That's where all the systems beam in their... Uh, so he blew all that up. All the info, yeah, I guess. So when Q is dismantling the the system that will read all of the information, yeah, it's already been blown up. Yes. Well, the British government would still have their Uber system. <laughs> all right, that's the, the other point. Walls. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. The, the plot's what, a the, mess. I guess this is a point. This is, actually is a point. What was the biggest problem between or that led to the to Muhammad Atta being able to fly those planes and in his terrorist group here being able to fly those planes into the twin towers? One of the biggest problems was that the CIA and the FBI didn't share intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the that's the villain of this movie. The fact that. They're share that they want to share intelligence. They want to actually. They're making a villain out of something that would have actually helped in the war on terror, sharing intelligence. Yeah, and but now all the government agencies do share intelligence. That was one of the things they learned from what happened in two thousand and one. Yeah, I, I, how is this a problem in two thousand and two? Well, I think or two thousand fifteen. How invasive now everything is. I mean, doesn't yeah, well, they're have trying to set like up five like an, million public cameras recording pretty much every <laughs> right. single in London. Yeah, age. maybe this is something. Wasn't this the plot of Batman, like uh, Dark Knight? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've bashed on it enough. It, it doesn't work. I think there are too many writers on the next film. Get one writer. <laughs> All right. There's yeah. no chance though. It's too much of a big investment. Yeah, but, well. Take my advice. All right. I'm giving it gratis. They should listen to Mr. Two Frames yeah. over there. If they listened to me, they wouldn't make them film at all. They wouldn't have to hire any writers. And it would just be one long tracking shot. Ah, I would film. like that. Birdman a la James Bond. Yep. So this movie was one of your top rated uh, movies. One of your picks to go up against my juggernaut of Star Wars. Yeah, and it made, like you said, $75 million. It still had... One of the best openings of the fall. So are your, your so far are done, it was though. a good pick. Or uh, wait, I you thought said I have Hunger Game. Game. I thought yeah. I have Hunger Games and the Good Dinosaur. 
Oh, okay. Really? How many movies do you have? Four. So you've only really had these two then? Well, the Wait a minute. I don't know. We'll you have the it. Danish girl. I know that. Uh, uh, did I have the Martian? Spectre? Maybe uh, I had We have to Hunger go back. I, yeah. Let me let me see if I can remember what movie I have for the winter challenge. <laughs> do you still do you feel any better about your chances? I didn't feel good about this going in. Now, after this week? I never about? felt good about this. <laughs> you know, you're like the the kids when you were growing up and you'd play kickball and like the top two or three kids are like, we'll all be on the same team. You can have everyone else. It'll be fair. Don't worry. Right. Instead of like, no, 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 no. You got to split up the talent. That way we can have a competitive game. No, no. I have we never get to all play together. So just let's do it this one time. I have one movie. And then you got the 12-year-old's throwing the kickball at like the eight-year-old's heads and laughing the whole time i have one movie whatever i'm just saying right. you, you, you are the three 12 year olds yeah right. we're, we're gonna be the same. everyone else though it's fair it's fair that makes me 36 yeah. don't worry let the kid in the wheelchair be the pitcher we won't even make him run the bases someone else can run the bases wow sad yeah i mean great job i'll take star wars and then you only wanted to give me three films. Huh. You got four you're, films. You're, yeah. You now only you're trying to get to five. Me, you only wanted two, three. I know. That was why I originally said I want five. And you're like, no, no, that's too much. <laughs> three against Star Wars. All right. Which is going to be playing on like 12 screens at most theaters opening <laughs> week. Whine and cry a little bit more. All right. I've, I've got another month and a half to do so on the show. Right. I'm sure I will. All right. So next week. We're going to be looking at the independent film Altered Minds by director Michael Weschler. And uh, C.S. Lee stars in this along with Judd Hirsch and Ryan Onan. Looking forward to it. I think we're going to have the director on the show as well as Mr. Lee. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. Interviewing those guys. So uh, look for that on laugh number 96. Eight. 98. Wow. Two, yeah, we'll be two away from 100 then. Just in time for the Thanksgiving Day weekend. Wow. We're going to have to do something special. We still haven't even thought about it or talked about it. So you did see Spy. Mm-hmm. I've, watched, I've caught up with Spy. Super Agent Rick Ford. Now, there, that could be a Bond. The guy that plays Jason him. Statham? Yeah. Would you Would you like that? Sure. I, I, I'm a big Jason Statham fan. I want you to use defibrillators on myself. I put shards of glass in my flipping eye. I've jumped from a high-rise building using only a raincoat as a parachute and broke both my legs upon landing. I still had to pretend I was in the freaking Cirque du Soleil show. I've swallowed enough microchips and crapped them out again to make a computer. This arm has been ripped off completely and reattached with this flipping arm. <laughs> so for Mr. Two Frames over there, it's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Trade. Pox that photo, everybody. There be dragons. Dragons.